0: Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 237 for the 18th of Tamos in a leap year. So today's episode is going to be one of those episodes that leaves us with more questions than answers, which I know can be frustrating sometimes, but I think that's all part of the process, and I think it's intentional. I think that the Alter Abba, this is my opinion, wants us to struggle with the questions. We find that a lot of uh, Torah study in general is very much based around the questions, bringing up challenges, bringing up... Um, supposed contradictions, things like that, and we're really supposed to grapple with these questions. We're really supposed to be uh, bothered by these questions and think about these things, occupy our minds with these thoughts, and make them real to us. So that's that's what today's, uh, today's episode is really going to be about. So the topic of this quandary, the topic of the questions that we're going to be bringing up, is what does it mean exactly to do tshuva? So we've we kind of took a little hiatus from that topic for the last few episodes where we went into the topic of fasting and charity and sacrifices, which we all, we spoke about are really all accessories to tshuva. Some people make the mistake in thinking that they are tshuva. That it's like if you want to do tshuva, if you want to repent, if you want to. Um, return to God after doing something wrong, making a mistake, then you bring a sacrifice, you give charity, you fast, those kind of things. And we spoke about how that's not tshuva. Those are nice accessory, extra things to do after doing tshuva. They're nice ways to appease God, just like a husband would bring flowers to his wife after apologizing and resolving to be better in the future so now we're going to go back and we're going to talk about what this means exactly this repentance this tshuva that we speak of what is it what like like we said, okay, it's, we said it's very simple. It means stop doing what you were doing and resolve to be better in the future and you're good to go. Right. But what does that actually mean? And what are the intricacies involved in this? And what are the ramifications of our actions? Because when we think about and we think about this idea of how we do something wrong and then we want to be better in the future. So, okay. So that, that's great and all, but the, the thing to recognize with all of this is that every action that we do has an effect. And it's, it's, we have to deal with that effect. We have to deal with that, the consequence of that. This is where punishment comes in. So punishment, quote unquote, which again is kind of funny kind of word, instead of thinking of it in terms of like a punishment in this kind of juvenile uh, sense, we can think about it in terms of a consequence, in terms of a kind of cleaning up process. So that just like if, um, there's a little kid who is misbehaving, let's say, and they start drawing on the walls. So they're not supposed to draw on the walls because their parents told them don't draw on the walls and then they do. Okay, now there is a crayon on the wall and that needs to be cleaned up. Maybe there's crayon on their hands or their face or whatever it is that needs to be cleaned up. There's there's consequences, there's ramifications to our actions. So that's something we're going to be talking about as well in this process of understanding tshuva, understanding what it means when we sin against God when we do something that's against our creator's will. What that that does to us exactly and how we can rectify this on an internal level. So um, I think it would now be a good time to get into the text and see how the altar explains this. And he's going to just give a little brief overview. He's going to explain to us First, this, this section is kind of bro- broken up into two parts. The first part is going to be ta- telling us uh, what shuva is on a more deeper level, like from a Kabbalistic standpoint, from a more spiritual standpoint, what it actually means. And then the second part is going to bring up some questions regarding punishments for different sins and the ability or inability to do chuva and and what to make of this. So let's get into the text. So for context, we're beginning chapter four today of Yerasa Chuva. And so chapter four, the altar epic begins and he says that everything that we spoke about above, meaning this whole idea of fasting and charity and all that stuff, which we spoke about in the last few episodes, uh, is all talking about to the completion of the atonement and to cleanse the soul before God, um, which comes after doing Shua, as was explained above in the Gemara of chapter one of Zavachim where we talked about how that this was the same idea of the Ola sacrifice, which the Ola sacrifice was brought after a person transgressed the positive commandments. And then this was given as a gift to God uh, after the per, after the person did shuva. So a person back in the day, when we had the Besamekdash, a person would neglect to do a positive commandment. And then they um, would do shuva and regret what they did. And then they would bring an Ola sacrifice as a an appeasement to God is a gift to God. However, this gift to God is not the tshuva, that this is just the extra thing on top of the tshuva. The very beginning of the mitzvah of the tshuva and the core of tshuva, the altar rabbis says, is to return to God with true truth and with a full heart. And now we have to understand what this means in a more comprehensive and detailed manner. And in order to do this, we're going to start off by looking at what it says in the Zohar about the interpretation of Chuva and what that means according to Sud, according to to Kabbalah. Kabbalah, uh, in, the word Sud in Hebrew means secret, which is like an allusion to the more mystical Kabbalistic aspects of Chuba. So in The Zohar, and this is taken from the Zohar part three, page 122a, it says that Shuva, if you look at it etymologically, so a lot of uh, Kabbalah looks at words etymologically in this way, it literally says Tashuv He. So the word Shuva in Hebrew is really made up of two words. It can be broken down into two words of Tashuv He. So what is He? So the letter He is really it's we we find this letter hey in the tetragrammaton in the yud kevav case ke. so the yod vav, the tetragrammaton which we can think of as sort of like the source name of God is made up of four letters the first letter is a yud the next letter is a hey the next letter is a vav and then the last letter is another hey. So in Kabbalistic literature, we talk about how there's these two hays, and we can think of the first hay as being the higher hay, and the last hay at the end as being the lower hay. And so um, what the Rebbe says here is that when we talk about shuva, tashuv hay, what this means is that we're returning the two hays to their source. There's the first hay, the lower hay, and that lower hay is what we, what's called shuva tata, lower form of chuva. And then there's the more higher hay, the, the first hay there after that comes after the yud. And when we return that hay to its source, it's called shuva ila'a, supernal chuva. So this is the first section of today's uh, portion. This whole idea, this whole idea of how chuva really is, can be broken up into two categories. There's Shuvatata, lower form of shiva, and Ilaha, higher form of shiva. They both involve somehow returning the haze of the Tetragrammaton back to their source. And uh, so that's, the Ultra Abba leaves that point for now and he's going to come back to it in the future. Now he brings up another, a, a question, like a, a something also from the Zohar, which he says needs to be explained, needs to be examined a little bit more. What is this this question, this thing that needs to be ex- explained is that we see that in the Holy Zohar in a few places, it says that Shuva is ineffective for the violation of the of a person of the covenant meaning that somebody who has who uh wastes their seed the wasteful emission of semen and this is very astonishing because it's like in terms of the scale of different sins wasteful seed while it's not something that is recommended in judaism there are quite a number of sins which seem to be a lot more severe than that and there's also a a concept an idea that we say and it's found in many places to our Jewish literature where it says chuva there's nothing that stands in the way of chuva, which seems to indicate that every, that chuva can help with everything, even if we're talking about, for example, God forbid idolatry, God forbid um, adultery et cetera. Things like this, like these sins, which are really liable for the death penalty. There's this idea that a person can do tshuva for anything. At, tshuva is good for anything. So what do we mean when, when the Zohar says this very shocking statements that tshuva is ineffective for wasteful emission of seed? So the altar of it provides an explanation for this. And he says that he quotes the Rishi's Chahma uh, which is the citation comes from the Shar HaKedusha of the Rosh Hashem Chapter Seventeen, where the Rosh Hashem explains that what the Zohar means is that chuvatata lower chuva, is ineffectual. This that's what it's referring to for, when it comes to wasteful seed. However, chuva ilaa is so. So, for the sin of wasteful seed, you need this higher level of tshuva. It's not enough to just have the lower level of tshuva. So, what's this about? So, why? Why? Like, why specifically does it require higher tshuva? What? What is higher tshuva? What is lower tshuva? So, the ultra says to even understand a little bit of this, we have to first bring in another idea. And we have to first look at this, this that which is um, that which is taught in the scripture as well as by the sages. The idea of charis and uh, death by the hands of heavens. So what and what that means? So we see that charis, exision. So th- these are two very severe punishments, obviously for very severe sins, of uh, of excision as well as death by the hands of heavens. And that what, this, what would actually happen, like the way that this would play out is back in the day, if a person would, would engage in some kind of act, in some kind of transgression that would make them liable for excision, this would make them die, God forbid, before they reach the 50 years old. So a person who violated a commandment that um, was punishable by excision, they would end up dying before they turned 50. And death by the hand of heaven, what would happen in that case? This type of person would die before they reached the age of 60. And we find an example of this in chapter 28 of Yirmiyahu with the prophet Hananiah ben Azor, who he... Uh, he died as a result of his fa- false prophecy and he died before the age of 60. So, and then in brackets, the altar Abbas says that even in some instances, when there was death by the hands of heaven, then they would die. Then a person would die immediately, like we find in the case of Er and Onan. So the, the case of the story of Er and Onan is found in um, in the in, in the Chumash, where it talks about the whole idea about how they wasted their seed because they did not want to have children. So you can look that up for context in Parshas Sveyeshev, where it talks about that story in more detail. Uh, so the basic idea is that they, they're they an example of people who passed away immediately. And then the ultra, but, but then the ultra asks a question, and this is how he concludes the section. He says, "In every we find that in every generation, there are several people who, if you look at their actions, they are liable for excision or for death by the hands of heaven but yet they live very long lives and very pleasant lives so what's this about and we are left with a cliffhanger. So that is yeah, so that's it for today. So just, just to recap, so the ultrapper really he brought up a bunch of questions here. First of all, he brought up the idea of what is chuva, what constitutes chuva, and he said that it has something to do with the idea of returning the haze back to their source, the two haze of the tetragrammaton. There's the lower hay, which is uh, the hay at the end of the tetragrammaton, which is uh, parallels Chuvatata, and then there's the higher Hay, which is after the Yud, and that's that parallels Chuvat Supernal Chuvah. Then we brought up the question about why it is that we find that um, the Zohar says that the sin of wasteful seed does not. Chuva is not um helpful for this it does it doesn't is ineffectual and we said that this seems really strange because we know that there's this idea that shuva that there's always room for chuva, like shuva can help with anything even the most of your sins and we explained this by citing the Rishis Chochmah, who said that the zohar is really just talking about shuva tata and um really the sin of wasteful seed can be redeemed you can do chuva with that but it just is it just requires uh chuva and then we talked about this idea that of um the idea of the punishments that come about through how they're played out uh with karis and mitabi de shamaim, excision and death by the hands of heaven and how if a person does something that did something which would make them liable for excision this would mean that they would end up dying before turning 50 and if a person would do something that would make them liable for death by the hands of heaven they would die before they turn 60, or even in some cases, we find like with Aaron Onan, that they would die immediately. And we, this leaves us with a question because we see there are lots of people who do these kind of sins and yet they live very long and prosperous lives. So what is this about? So if uh, if you're confused, if you have a lot of questions, that's good because that's where the ultra Rebbe wants us to be. And hopefully we will start to unravel some of these questions and uh, explore some of this